Welcome to the Foxy Podcast, a bi-monthly show brought to you by Freeform Freakout and Foxy Digitalis. The show is produced at KMSU Studios in Mankato. Here in the Foxy Podcast, we try to dig deeper into underground and experimental sounds of the past and present. We started this week's podcast with an excerpt from Decimus 11, which is a part of a 12-volume series that former No-Neck Blues Band member Pat Murano has been recording under the Decimus moniker over the past year or so. We recently had a chance to speak with Pat about his work as Decimus, along with the many collaborative projects he's been involved in and the work he's doing with his Calippa label. We'll air that interview on this week's show and play several tracks from Decimus and other Calippa titles, including some forthcoming material from a few of Pat's latest collaborations. We'll start things here where we discuss some of the factors that spawned his Decimus project. Well, you've been actively involved in music for many years now with uh, the No Neck Blues Band, Malkuth, K. Salvatore, etc. But Decimus is really your first solo endeavor. And had you worked on music of your own much over the years while you were involved in all those groups? And then I guess kind of to follow up on that, what were some of the factors that led to Decimus becoming perhaps your primary musical project? Well, I've I've always been playing music on my own. Uh, I'm just, you know, mostly just nothing serious, just sort of like whatever I had at home, just recording and messing around. And I never took it that seriously because I had all this other stuff happening that I was more focused on. And uh, I, I guess the the turning point was when those uh, those groups, particularly Nonick and Malkuth, uh, you know, they became a lot less active. And uh, I just had found that I wasn't playing his music as much, and I wasn't very happy about that. So um, I didn't have any... When I started playing more on my own, I didn't really have too much uh, of an idea about whether or not it would ever be something I'd release or if it would be something I would ever take seriously beyond just doing it. But it definitely started because I had suddenly had a lot more time to make music on my own uh, as everything else sort of like slowed down. Um, but yeah, I've always been making music, mm-hmm. for sure. Well, are No Neck and Malkuth, I mean, are they just sort of on hiatus right now, or are they both <clears> just done? In um, I'd say Malkuth is, is done. We have a third record we recorded that never came out, and uh, I've actually, I'm sort of in the process of mixing some of that again, and uh, some of that might come out. It was a double record originally. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm considering putting out one record on Kalippa, uh maybe early next year that's sort of more of an open-ended record less of like a a, a straight up black metal record um so that might happen but yet yeah, we don't play anymore and no neck is we haven't played in a long time and it's hard to say like i would never say that it's totally done but it's definitely on ice mm-hmm. I, I always kind of uh thought of no neck as a group that could just randomly sort of like come together in some random rooftop or subway <laughs> just like yeah, you never I mean, you, you know, never know if the time if the time was right i mean that's the way i like to think about it i think part of the reason why it without getting too into it like why we sort of stopped playing is because it did become too much like a lot of other bands like we'd just play like we'd go on tour we'd play like a lot of ven- like regular venues and i think we all sort of like lost interest in that mm-hmm. and uh <clears throat> and i do think if we were to play Again, uh, it would be like that. We actually just played a couple of mo- months ago um, for the first time in a long time. All of us got together and played. We were 
and we played it uh, just for ourselves at my uh, girlfriend's bakery. We played inside her. Oh, okay. uh, they make key lime pies there, and we and we set up our equipment and played in there. Uh, but yeah, that was that was it. There's no other plan to do it again. But it was really it was good for us, and it was good to hang out. But yeah, yeah. Well, having that's the way, have, I'd like to see it. Mm-hmm. Having played in, in in groups where improvisation plays such a key role, how do you approach your work as decimus then? Um, because there does seem to be this sort of like compositional flow, at least in terms of how you kind of map out or you know present an album side. So I was just wondering, do you establish that through improvising and sort of, I guess, mapping that out first? Yeah, I, uh, I definitely do a lot of playing and just recording and playing without a plan. And uh, some of that I'll use and I'll actually use, uh, like do overdubs or I'll actually you know just use parts of it. And some of it I'll just like I'll like some of the relationships in it or the the texture in it and I'll and I'll go back and replicate that. A lot of the stuff though is built track by track, so it's a little bit more thought out. And I guess I'll just have ideas about what I want to explore or how I want the the sort of flow to go over the course of an album side. I guess I'm always thinking in terms of like the whole twenty minutes of an album side, mm-hmm. and uh, and so it's it'll be built sort of like that. But the imp- improvisation is a huge part of it. I, <clears throat> none of the ideas are uh, ever like fully composed before I go in. It's just more the idea of like sound or mood or maybe the instrumentation, um, you know. And then I think the more sort of composed elements come in as I like add tracks and uh, build on it. And then maybe even what eventually happens is I'll take away the original track that might have been improvised, and what's left is something that was composed o- over it. Well, this is, I guess, sort of a, maybe a continuation or extension of that question, but you know, I, I guess I'm I'm thinking of this based on that ad hoc uh, comp mm-hmm. or mix that you made that sort of combined uh, clip uh, material with '90s era Memphis hip hop, I guess. Mm-hmm. And but there does seem to be this sort of hip hop aesthetic or sort of grimy production value that you sort of inject into your mm-hmm. work with Decimus. So I was wondering if that was indeed the case, and I guess you've kind of explained a bit of how you approach it, but I, do, I was wondering, do you, do you see your solo work, or in terms of what you're doing, as more of almost like a producer, if you will? Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, I definitely, hip-hop is a huge influence. Like, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's probably one of the only genres that I consistently listen to, and then have been for years and years. Like, I, it's, it's, I think there's a lot um, that's happening in that kind of in that music that uh, I find very inspiring, and I, I do think one of the, the features of like how it how like things lo- loop and reoccur and like uh, uh, I definitely like that's where I've mined all those ideas from. I think um, <clears throat> as far as being a, like as a producer, I, I guess that's true. I, I mean, because it's only me I, I, and all the roles are me. Um, I, I, it is like a lot about like. Arranging, which I imagine is something that a, like a producer would do, right. where it's like these I, there's these voices that I hear in it, and then like I'm sort of like thinking about arranging them. It's it's you know it's a very like I don't know much about writing music like like writing like a uh, how how a symphony is written or something like that, like right. a large ensemble piece. Um, but I but in my mind this is sort of like my own on my own scale like how this works like I hear these voices I want to arrange them into this larger whole and I imagine like you know um, 
I like to think that a good hip hop producer is making tracks you can hear a certain a certain voice on it or it has a certain mood or the 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 actual rap has a certain cadence to it and like I I uh I definitely find a lot of inspiration in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, I, I it's a it's a it's probably the only genre that I listen to consistently. It's my favorite mm-hmm. for sure. Well, you've been you've been in the process of releasing uh, twelve albums uh, centered around the Zodiac over the past few years, I guess, and about if I'm if I'm correct, about eight or nine of these have come out. Mm-hmm. So first, I was wondering if you finished the cycle of albums that you've been doing, and then secondly, in general, I guess how would you describe this conceptual framework in terms of shaping the sounds and and the feel that you were going for on these releases? And I guess not to talk about every single album individually here, but just sort right. of as a whole. Um, they are not all recorded. Um, they're pretty much recorded in the order that they appear. Uh, there's one finish that's not out yet, uh, Decimus 10. That'll be coming out soon. And now I'm working on the next one. <clears throat> um, the framework is important mostly just to reel me in uh, so that I have something to work with. That's I don't know. I, I, I guess I, it, for me it, it helped to to have some kind of like restrictions and some kind of um, almost arbitrary factors that would shape maybe how I decided the records would sound. <clears throat> the first two that I put out, one and five, were recorded before I actually had the idea, the concept. They were recorded like in the last stages, like what we talked about first, which was like me just recording at home and mm-hmm. starting to feel like, okay, like some of the stuff I want to release. And then I, I guess what happened was I thought long and hard about, like, how I'm going to release this. Like, what am I doing? Am I just going to put out a record or two? And then, like, um, years are going to go by, and then I'll, maybe I'll throw out another one. Like, I kind of wanted to make it more of, like, a, I don't know, exercise sounds like a clinical word. But, like, for me, it was good to have, like, okay, I'm going to do this. I set a goal, which was to make 12 records, basically, like, aside from all the other bells and whistles of the concept. Mm-hmm. The main part is that there's going to be 12 records, and like, so I started. I only had two, and those other 10 didn't exist at all. So I thought that was, uh, you know, <clears throat> sort of a an interesting goal to put toward for myself. Like, okay, I'm gonna. This is not going to just be something like some like I'm throwing these two out because they're recorded already, and then like time goes by. Like I wanted to make it like something where it could develop, and I could push myself as a musician and 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 see this through. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and so now the, the the finer points of the concept guide. They do guide what I, how I how I work on the stuff. You know, in the beginning, like you know, it's the uh, astrology and mysticism is always something I've been interested in. Like, and so like knowing a little bit about that and thinking about that helped shape maybe some of the sounds or some of the moods or some you know just some of the aspects of how I was going to make the music. Sure. And now what's interesting is in the beginning, like the music would start to take shape and I would be like, oh, that kind of like fits with this aspect of the Zodiac. But now there's only a few left. And so now the, it's interesting because now the music has, I have to make, if I'm going to be true to this in my own mind, like the music has to be true to what's le- with the ones that are left. Like, you know, the, the, the aspects of the Zodiac are left. Now I have to make, I can't pick and choose anymore. It's very, it's actually being forced on me which ones. And I actually really like that. I was just going to say, now that really puts restrictions on. I yeah, guess, how you're going yeah, and I really, I like I said, I really like it. And uh, in a way, I mean, you know, I, I'm sure they all, the records all kind of sound the same. But to me, like, 
I feel like if I didn't have that, they would totally all just be the same record mm-hmm. over and over again. And I, I feel like it did push me to try to make different music, you know, within whatever I got have going on personally, like uh, just to make something that was each one was some had some distinct sort of thing to it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm actually gonna I'm gonna play a track, uh, the first track off of Decimus One here uh, to start this off, and I I guess you've sort of answered my my question I was going to ask here kind of addressing the idea of the albums coming out sort of out of sequence, I guess. Yeah. And, and you said that that was purely intentional. It had really nothing to do with label, you know, factors or anything like that. They just no. came out how you chose to present them. Right. Um, so given this first one here, do you sort of, I guess, again, you kind of answered this, but do you kind of recall your headspace? I mean, was this, this was purely outside of, you know, the, the, the parameters of what you were gunning for after the fact on Decimus One. Yeah, I mean, in a way, it's sort of like maybe it's nearest and dearest to me because it was the most sort of like I, that was recorded without any like thought of like that this would have ever come out or that anyone else would ever hear it. It really was just um, me. You know, I like I said, I've been playing a bunch, but these were at this was, I was at a stage where I felt like I was finding my my voice, like wh- how I wanted these. This, like the stuff to sound mm-hmm. and so like yeah it was it was um it, it it just it was a very sort of natural process that maybe it's not as natural anymore there's all this there is this awareness and i do make stuff now thinking about the fact that people are going to hear it right. and i didn't then mm-hmm. i didn't with that record so i think i don't know to me that one i mean maybe it is cause because of that it'll always it'll be a it's it'll might be my favorite Well, let's actually hear, this is the uh, opening track from uh, Decimus One.
All right. Despite Decimus being one of your main musical outlets, you also have been very, very active in a number of collaborative pro- uh, projects here of late with Raj Mahal, Key of Shame, K. Salvatore. S- is it Sif- Safia? How do you say? How do you pronounce that? Safia. Yeah. Safia. Okay. Well, um, and and you also have a couple of new collaborative things coming out with Tom Carter and a few of your No Neck mates here very, very soon. But having been in a group like No Neck for so long. I'm wondering about the value that you place on sort of the social and interactive aspects uh, in the creation of music and, and perhaps how that then fuels what you do as a solo artist. Well, it, I, I, I put a lot of value on it if for no other reason than like everything I learned about playing music and every last shred of confidence that I accumulated playing music happened in this very like incredibly social environment. Um, and you know, to step away from that and do it on my own was uh, was actually very scary, and uh, and so to have like sort of like found my feet with that, with doing it on my own, and then to return into a situation where it is uh, a real social experience, uh, it's 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 actually been really amazing, and it's it's changed it a lot for me, and it's changed my ideas about my own voice in in more group situations now that I've sort of experienced my voice by itself um and you know working with different people is a uh, it's great cuz everyone it's it's everyone who I play with plays very differently and it forces me to play differently which I like uh there you know pushes me to do things that I would never do on my own or would never have done with no neck um and uh, it's been just incredible I'm not a big fan of like like jam sessions or like tossed off like hey like you know two dudes like let's just hang out like and like jam like and like have it be like i don't know i i just think there's something to be said about some a thought out interaction between personalities when i when i hear music of people collaborating i like to feel like i'm hearing that kind of dialogue and so i i definitely strive for that in this in this in these collaborations you know a real a real uh dialogue that makes music that's singular it's not like one person's and it's not like the other person's it actually is its own thing mm-hmm. as opposed to some kind of toss-off yeah that's kind of a nice segue into i guess what i wanted to ask you next is that i guess do you feel that being involved in so many different projects like this uh, actually leads to maybe more focused and productive and i use this term sort of i'm throwing up my air quotes here sessions mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're able to get together to work to, to work on each of these projects yeah, I think it's I think it's it tends to be pretty focused and um I'm not sure exactly why that is at this point. But uh I I do think like when when uh, we do when I do sit down to play with whoever and it has it has much more of a of a focused feeling to it than like sitting down and being like well anything could happen, you know, and then it becomes this like well I, then what what are we going to do like I feel like that's when I think about unfocused. That's what I think. It's like okay, like here we are. Like what are we gonna what are we gonna play? And it's like I don't know. What do you want to play? Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't. I don't. Fortunately, I don't ever feel like that um, with the people I've chosen to collaborate with up to this point. Like it is. There's never any question about it. And like what we do play is very much a product of like us getting like the two people getting together or three people or whatever. It doesn't ever have that weird sort of open-ended feeling. It seems like the music we're playing is the music, is really the only music that we should be playing at that point. 
I don't know, without sounding right. too like. Well, there, um, kind of to open this up a little bit, there's there's been plenty of coverage, and even within underground and experimental music circles, about dwindling album sales and concert mm-hmm. attendance, and I guess just sort of this decrease in support for music in general. Mm-hmm. So first, does this sort of ring true uh, with some of your experiences, I guess? I mean, you've been at this for quite a while now, looking at things maybe in the last two to three years versus, you know, when you were, you know, the first 10 years of being a no-neck. And I guess sort of as a follow-up to that, what has driven you to keep going and, and creating music over the years? Um, I definitely think it's there's a, it's changed radically. And I don't for the better or worse, I can't say. I, I, I think part of it is the dwindling sales and the dwindling concert attendance is because, is because actually there's not a lack of enthusiasm. I actually just think there's a lot of stuff out there, and good or bad. Like it's, it, I think there's a lot of great stuff out there, actually. I just think there's a lot of stuff. So, like, it's hard to, like, you put out a new record and, this, you know, it goes in a new arrivals bin with, like, I, you know, 40 new records that came out that week, which is, which is crazy. It's a lot of stuff. And, like, you know, and people are strapped for cash and people do download it for free. And I actually have no problem with that personally. I think that's the way, that's the sort of, like, way things travel around these days. And if somebody wants to own the object, like, that's really great. And uh, then they should buy it. But you know, I think it's a reality that everyone has to address. Um, and you know, when Nonex, I don't, I wouldn't know. I, it would be hard to imagine how Nonex would have sort of happened in this, in and like you know, in 2012. Like when we started, it was very much like, you know, the culture was like records came out, and it was like something would appear in, in the record store, and you'd be like, what's this? It's very mysterious. Or like, you know, it, it wasn't, you, you, it could be mysterious. There wasn't like a million, you couldn't read about it on the internet immediately or whatever. And uh, I think there's a lore to that that I respond to, because, but only because I'm a product of that generation, you know. Um, I think it's just changed. So I think the reasons people play music might have cha- might change. Like my reasons maybe have changed. Like, uh, I'm not, I mean, we, I make these records myself, and obviously I put my money in, and I'd like to recoup it so I can make another record. But uh, I'm not really worried about, like, moving the merchandise so much. I, I'd love to get it heard, and and the reason why I make it and put it out is because I, I want to more than, I like, I want to be, like, heralded or adored or acknowledged even, I guess. Like, I don't know, as someone who likes records and likes things being discovered, and, like, you know, if people look back... At some other point, you know, 15, 20 years from now, like, and they're like, those records, like, do you ever hear those records? They're really crazy or whatever. There's a whole bunch of them. And, like, people are interested in that. Like, that's totally cool with me. Like, I don't need anyone to give me, like, a high five today about <laughs> it or anything. You know, it's like, it's for, uh, like, I made the music and, like, I'm, that was good for me. And, like, like now it's, like, for posterity. It's, like, out there. <laughs> and that's why I made it. Like, not because uh, I wanted to sell a bunch of them or whatever. So. Right, right. Well, I guess coming back to some of your... Uh collaborative stuff one of your newest projects is uh safia uh, your work with brad mm-hmm. rose and i guess mm-hmm. this is sort of unique for you in that it's not you know something that you're getting together this is a long distance collaboration yes. um, yeah which you know kind of i'm guessing just bouncing tracks and stuff back and forth so i'm wondering you know how your new record came together for you two um yeah i, I it's interesting I, i'd only done this like, uh, I mean, probably in, like, 1995, me and uh, Jason, who I played with in Salvatore, we made uh, a cassette. We actually made two. Only one of them came out. We made a cassette with uh, Prick Decay, 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember, like yep, uh, yep. Dylan. Um, and we, they sent us material. It came in the mail. They took months to arrive, and then I, we recorded over this cassette that he, that he sent, and we mailed, we mailed it back, and it took them months to, you know, it, it, and went back and forth like that. It took, like, probably about eight months to do this. And now in the era of, like, sending a, like him sending a file or whatever and sending it back, like, it's amazing how much more, like, almost... Uh, because it wasn't so staggered, it actually was a much more organic process that maybe we weren't playing together, but it was quick enough that it felt like we were sort of like um, having an, a real interaction. Right, right. Um, how it got started is um, we had been in touch. Uh, he was gonna he was putting out a, uh, a Decimus record, and he put out a, a Raj Mahal cassette, and uh, he's just been an awesome supporter of what I do, and I really appreciate that. And we had just been talking. I really like his music. And uh, I think I had said we should put out, like, a split record, like, not, you know, not collaborating, just maybe, like, my stuff on one side, his on the other. And he was like, why don't we just collaborate? And I, I actually thought that was a really great idea. And, yeah, so we one side is his basic tracks that I overdubbed and mixed, and the other side is my basic tracks that he um, overdubbed stuff on and mixed. Mm-hmm. And, and once again, like just going back to the idea of like collaborating and the uniqueness of it, I don't think that music is something that I personally would have made. I can't speak for him, but um, I feel like it is something onto itself, which I'm really proud of. And uh, we actually are working on a second record cool. already. Yeah. So, Well, yeah, let's, uh, uh, let's hear. Um, so I'm going to play an excerpt from uh, Treasurer of Badu Nadir. Is that mm-hmm. the is that the source material that you started with, or was that Brad's stuff that he provided? Um, uh, this would be the A side. Yeah, I think that material was was my basic tracks. Okay, and then okay. he sent the um, then I sent it to him, and he put a lot of stuff. I mean, it's amazing because if I played you the basic tracks, it was to, it's totally unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. It's not like um, I would not take credit for that side at all. It's my <laughs> thing. It's definitely like it's like. You know, he transformed into something amazing. Mm-hmm. Like what I sent him was very mundane. Um, yeah, I remember when he sent it to me. I we were I was listening to it. And I was just really psyched, like that he made this thing like that. You know, out of mm-hmm. what I'd sent him. So yeah, awesome. Let's uh, let's hear it. This is Safia. <laughs> Thank you. 
I wanted to talk uh, about your label now, and I was wondering what prompted you to start up your Kalippa label? Uh, really, it was just basically I just assumed that the best way to get the, to get my material out there and was to do it myself. Um, I didn't really feel so confident about uh, shopping it around, and honestly, like I'd never even... I'd, I'd never done anything like that before. I didn't even really understand how that could how that works. So like it just seemed like the way that was going to that was going to be the easiest and the way that was going to make me the least embarrassed <laughs> was to just uh put it on a credit card and uh do it myself. I really like I mean I had the records made and then like they like like they sat in my house and in, in piles for like another 2 months cuz I was like, "Oh my god, they're they're really made and now like I don't know what to do with them <laughs> because then I realized that I had only forestalled my own embarrassment because eventually I had to like start asking people if they wanted to, to like carry them and sell them or whatever <laughs> so uh, it was all real new it was just a really new uh, process for me like I in No Neck I was never a part of that in fact I was never even the guy that would like be like introducing myself or like you know I was just very was very quiet about it, and I would just play the music and hang out, but I was not, like... It's not like I had I had a bunch of connections that I, like, was able to, like, just call up and be like, hey, but that's the thing. And then I had to start writing emails where, like, hey, it's Pat from No Neck or whatever. It's just, like, totally humiliating. Like, I, I just <laughs> didn't want to be that guy. 
But I really, I mean, I just had this mountain of records in the house. So, like, that motivated me to be that guy. But it was really just because I made, I, I did the label because I thought that was the best way to do it without, without further ado, like, they're just out there. Right, right. Well, in the, in the current issue of The Wire magazine, uh, mm-hmm. David Keenan writes at length about the rise of the private press in 2012, and he actually mentions your label in, in the piece, but uh, one of the observations that he made was that, and, he, and, and to quote him, uh, in the past 12 months there has been a discernible shift away from the prolix documentary style of endless CDR and cassette releases towards a refocusing on albums as big statements. And, and I'm wondering, I guess to end quote there, uh, mm-hmm. uh, do you feel like uh, that is the focus that you have, or at least that you'd like to have for Kalipa? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I am definitely not, I've never, ever been interested in CDRs, like personally. Like I just, and I, once again, this is maybe just where I came from. Like I definitely, cassettes and LPs is how I, like I grew up listening to the music, like, and like CDs, but not like that's that CDR culture. Like I, I just never, uh, I understand how it works and I understand how it functions, like why it, why it exists. But I, it just, it has no allure to me. Like I, I, I probably wouldn't, you know, would go on tour all the time and people would hand me CDRs. And I, I honestly don't ever think I listen to one. Like there's something about the whole thing that's like a total turn off to me because it seems like such a toss off that. I just I just instinct, instinctively assume that the whole thing, including the music, is a toss-off. <laughs> and I do think a record is like a, you know, it's like if you're going to go through the length to actually make a record and and make, like, the art and make a, a package, like, I feel like that, that sort of, like, betrays, like, hopefully, like, an investment in the music as well. Like, you can't just be like, yeah, that was an awesome, like jam last night like let's let's like put it out like I, I feel like that happens less when you have to like actually manufacture a record right right um and it's just like a like a it's as a, that's what i like those that's the sort of that's where my fetish is like i like records like i i i like i like looking at them i like you know like putting them on and getting up and turning it over halfway through i like the way it's sort of like um you know yeah it's just that's how i want that's how i want my music to appear like um, you know, I like cassettes as well. I just, it's funny because every time I put out a cassette, I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, okay, one, one day that'll be a record too. Like I, it's not real to me unless it's a record. Right. So, right. You know? Yeah. I was going to ask you that. I mean, you, you have been of late sort of involved in, in the cassette side yeah. of things. And I mean, is that something you would ever consider for Kalippa or do you just want to stick as solely an LP imprint? You know, it's funny. Uh, I actually, uh, I was, considering a cassette release and uh eventually somebody else asked me to put out a cassette and i actually gave it to them to do instead so now i actually have a bunch of blank cassettes in my house uh <laughs> so if anybody's out but, uh, there in need of tapes you can get them yeah, just, yeah give me a give me a holler discount <laughs> right. but um you know, i i actually really like that idea too it's like you know you make it and it's like a, you can make a small amount of them and, and it is cheap you know and you know i think it the kind of music that i that i would put on a cassette is probably different than the kind of music i'd put on a record which i think is also an interesting uh constraint conceptually for me too like making music like i like the idea of like i'm going to make this and like i'm thinking about it more in like long f- form it doesn't have to like and this will be a cassette like it could be i feel like i, I could maybe let it all hang out a little bit more i don't have to be as sort of like picky mhm um, so, but, uh, I like it. I, I probably eventually, I, I'll probably put out some cassettes on my own at some point. Um, when it seems like there's something that merits that, like, 
um, you know, on the on the other side of the coin, I, I recorded this thing that I actually was originally intending as one of the numbered Decimus records, but I gave it to NNA Tapes. Oh, okay, yeah. They're putting it out as a cassette, um, probably in the next few months, and it's not going to be a numbered Decimus thing. It's titled and and uh, I I'm sort of like I'm you know I'm I'm psyched about it. I'm psyched they're doing it, and I'm psyched, I'm really excited about the music. Like the but the fact that it's just it's a cassette kind of like messes with me like mm-hmm. it was actually like uh i had to like sort of like check myself it's like it's still out there it's, people <laughs> yes. are still gonna hear it. it's not i don't know it's just really like a mental block i have about <laughs> right, record right. like that it's not real until it's a record right right well you, you kind of addressed uh this next question uh, earlier on but I, i'm gonna ask it anyway so mm-hmm. you know you've you've participated in the world of underground music for for many years now and so how do you view some of the changes that have taken shape in regards to digital distribution and I guess like yourself the rise of more artist run labels? Um I I think it's great. I really do. I think I first of all I think it's great that everyone can make their own music now. Mm-hmm. I think that's the way it should be. I mean, I think it's hard because then it's like it's all out there and maybe it's not all necessarily worth the public forum or you know it's just like the public forum is just there's a lot it's congested because there's a lot of stuff out there but i think ultimately like how music originally was in my mind like maybe it's a romanticized thing it's like if you like the music at some other in some other time and you would have to make it on you'd have to make music you have to make your own music and i feel like you know obviously the, the the methods of making music have changed but like if you like music you could just just make some music and I think that's great. And I think if that means that you can put it out too, like I think that's awesome. To, even if that, you know, you put it up, you record it, and you upload it on your like SoundCloud or whatever, and like now people can hear it. I think that's, I really do think that's a great thing. Like, and you know, as far as, and people can download it. And I think to pass stuff around for free, I think is uh, is great. In fact, I think that it, it, it having it be so that it's hard to make money off of music really just creates a situation where no one's going to invest a ton of money in something just because they think it's going to make them a ton of money back as an investment. They're going to put money into something because they believe in it. And I think that actually might sort of reverse the flow of garbage that is constantly being like put out. You know, I think uh, if people are more sort of selective, they're like, because they have to put something out only because it's important to them or it makes sense to them. Like, I think that'll actually do a good job of censoring a lot of the stuff that's just there to like, to sell, you know, units. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think for artists, <clears throat> for people who are recording music, you know, it seems like the easiest way to go about it really is to just put it out yourself. Right. Um, it, it just takes a little money, I guess. That's the thing. It's like you need to, you know, it's only so deep you can go into credit card debt. But, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good way to do it. Unfortunately, for anyone who's considering doing it, just this, you know, then you have to like, you know, balance your books and make sure like everyone pays you after you send them their records. You know, all the distributors and there's a lot of headache involved. I, was just, I wasn't thinking about that. Uh, I'm not my uh, my uh, my I, you know business and that kind of stuff is just not my strong point. So I'm uh, learning on the fly how to do all that. But <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that's sort of the but but you know but. To put it out yourself is a great and it's, an, it's a great empowering thing. Right. And to feel like you're in control of it, I think that's I think that's great. 
Well, let's actually talk about uh, some of the things you have coming up here in, I guess, the next month or so. Yeah. You have two records coming out, both of which you appear on, and they're both collaborations. And I mentioned um, earlier, uh, one is with uh, Tom Carter, and then you have another group, and maybe we should talk about this one. Um, it's Lay Conversions, or Lay Conversions, depending sure. on how you want to pronounce it. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's some of your uh, some of your Nodek mates that are playing yeah. this too. Yeah, it's um, well, me and Jason Moore uh, play together as Salvatore. We've been had been collaborating just the two of us together. I mean, for a very very long time outside of Nodek. Um, since like the mid '90s, and uh, we we had been just over the summer we'd been we'd been actually playing a bunch of shows and to break it up we were like well one of the shows why don't we ask Dave Shuford who was also a Nonek to to play with us and so he sat in and played and it was actually I thought it sort of pushed us into a place that the two of us wouldn't ordinarily go and we were really excited about it so we went to Jason's studio. And uh, we spent a weekend recording, and uh, it was really, it was an amazing experience, and I mean, the three of us have been playing together for, really, for so long that it was kind of a no-brainer, mm-hmm. and uh, so uh, half the material is coming out, I mean, we recorded hours and hours, but there's a record coming out on Calippa, uh, and uh, then there'll be a second one on holidays, uh, probably in the spring. We just finished uh, uh, putting that one together. Um, yeah, and then you have this uh, uh, split, not split, uh, another album with uh, Tom Carter. Now, you guys have actually yeah. also played a few live shows too, correct? Yeah, we, we, uh, we've we played together. Uh, we've played two live shows. we got a third one coming up <clears throat> in January. Um, you know, I'd, Tom was the guy that I know knew sort of for a while, but I really didn't know his solo material that well, and I don't think he knew much about my own material and uh, it was really Jason Moore's idea. He had been running this series for, in a studio called Natch, where he was pairing people that he felt would be sympathetic collaborators. And he asked me if I wanted to play with Tom, and uh, I said sure. And I, it was really remarkable how we, uh, I feel like we, we clicked. I, I, I feel like Tom would agree. Like, um, uh, we really... Uh, we, well, you know, we we didn't talk once about music. We set up our equipment and started to play, and uh, I don't know, it came out really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Jason released a bunch of it as, as uh, free downloads. As Natch, it was Natch Four, I think. And then some of the material we put aside for this record. So this was recorded at at Black Dirt also, and we also have recorded a bunch of stuff since then that we're trying to put together as a next as another release. So. We've been playing a bit, you know, recording like privately. So sure. we're going to try to make a record out of some of that material. All right. Well, let's uh, let's jump into something from each of these. Uh, we're going to start off here with something from uh, Lay Conversions uh, from the side A.
right, that's going to do it for this week's show. I want to say thanks to Pat for taking the time and speaking with us this week. Uh, please follow some of the links on our blog to uh, track down some of uh, Decimus recordings and Calippa recordings. Uh, lots of great stuff to dig through. And uh, I want to wish everybody uh, a happy new year. Uh, this is going to be the last show for 2012. So uh, check back with us uh, in a few weeks uh, in 2013 for uh, uh, morning music and uh, more features. So thanks for listening.